0: Their razors provide a smooth shave every time. And their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest therapist and switch therapists any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash gold. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the bear market in global stocks continues. In fact, I believe we're in a bear market in the United States, even though nobody wants to admit it's a bear market, because technically the major averages are not quite down 20 percent, even though some of the averages are. You know, the transports uh, this morning were down 30 percent from their highs, clearly bear market territory there. The Russell 2000 down 25 percent, better than 25 percent from its high. That's a bear market. There are many individual sectors that are way down in bear market territory. And, of course, individual stocks. Look at IBM today hitting a new six-year low. The stock was down about 6 or 7% on the day. And, of course, that's the poster boy for share buybacks. Imagine how much shareholder money has been flushed down the toilet buying back stock at over $200 a share, and now you're looking at $120 and falling. But remember, all bear markets begin as corrections. Right. I mean, you can't be down 20 percent unless you're down 10 percent first. Right. You're you're there. The bear market of 2001, uh, when the S&P and the Dow were basically cut in half and the Nasdaq went down by 80 percent, that decline started as a correction. Same thing in 2008. That market meltdown where the S&P and Dow were down by about 50 percent. They were calling that a correction, too, until they realized that it was a bear market. And that's what they're talking about today. It's a correction. In fact, the main thing they're talking about today on you know CBC the way they cover it is the comeback. The fact that the Dow had this huge comeback because you know it was down better than 560 points at the low, and it closed down just 249. What a great comeback, right? The Nasdaq was down better than 160. And it only closed down five. So, hey, everything is great. No need to worry because we had this great comeback. You know, if we hadn't had the great comeback, had we were had we closed on the lows, had we been down a 1,000 points today, maybe we'd be closer to a short-term bottom, maybe a final capitulation. Maybe if we gapped down big again the following day and then had a real reversal where we closed positive, then technically you'd have something to hang your hat on. But to me, this is the same old, same old. This is another short covering intraday rally to create, you know, a slippery slope of hope for the market to continue to slide down. They sold it off. I mean, the Nasdaq got to up 30, 35 uh, in the last half hour. The Dow was only down about 120, and then it just rolled over and we closed down about 250, and the Nasdaq couldn't even hold the black. Uh, Transport's again down. Most of these stocks really beaten up. Some of the most heavily shorted stocks had intraday rallies, some of the tech stocks, the biotech's Again, classic hallmarks of short covering rally. You don't make a bottom on short covering rallies. You make a bottom on, on capitulation, on the long showing in the towel. You know, I heard a statistic that we made today the most 52-week lows in any month since November of 2008. I mean, that was the depth of the market meltdown. The Lehman bankruptcy, Fannie and Freddie going bankrupt, TARP failing, all that stuff happening. And this this is just like that day. In fact, point-wise, here's another statistic. And maybe maybe based on the close, maybe that's not the case. I'm not sure. But certainly earlier in the day, they were saying on CNBC that this is the biggest monthly point drop in the history of the stock market. So it's not just the worst January. It's the worst month of any year ever. Now, of course, it's not the biggest percentage-wise, right? Because the Dow is a lot higher now. So the point drops aren't as big. But I think they said it was the ninth biggest percentage decline in one month in history. And, of course, the month is only two-thirds over. So we still have, you know, another third of this month to to break that record. But, you know, the market has got to be telling us that not only are we in a bear market, but we are in a recession. The market is forward-looking, right? The market is telling us that we're in a recession. In fact, the bond market is telling us—I was watching today— on CBC, Jamie Dimon came on, and he was talking about why he saw value in the high-yield bond market. And he's looking at the spreads between high-yield and treasuries. And he's saying, look, the high-yield market is priced as if we were in a severe recession. And so, therefore, this is a great bargain because we all know we're not only not in a severe recession, we're not even in a recession at all. Oh, the economy is going to grow 2 to 3% this year. Everything is great, yet the bonds are priced as if we were in a recession. You know, does it ever dawn on Jamie Dimon or anybody else that maybe the reason that the bond market is priced as if we were in a severe recession, it's because we are in a severe recession. I mean, then it makes sense, you know, because why are the bonds priced as if we were in a severe recession? Because we are. You know, all the data shows that, right? All the economic data that we keep getting, all that data says that we're in a severe recession. I keep talking about we get data points that we've never seen Unless we're in a great recession, the market is behaving, the stock market is behaving as if something really bad is happening because we haven't seen action like this since 2008. Yet everybody is dismissing all of this evidence and saying, well, we're not in a recession. Look, if it walks like a recession, quacks like a recession, smells like a recession, it is a recession. We are back in recession and nobody nobody wants to admit that. Now, of course, there are people now saying, well, you know, maybe the Fed is going to pause or may, not even officially pause, but maybe be a little bit more slow uh, before it it raises interest rates again. I read this article, and this is kind of common of what's out there. This is in The Guardian. Uh, Janet Yellen and the Fed left with a face full of egg after interest rate rise blunder. And the tagline, you know, the first line of the article says, four weeks and one market meltdown later. U.S. Central Bank's decision to opt for early rate hike no longer looks so clever. I mean, first of all, early rate hike? Rates have been at zero for seven years. How can raising rates after seven years of zero be considered raising them early? Look, the problem isn't that they raised rates early. It's that they raised them too late. Actually, scratch that. The real problem is that they lowered rates in the first place, which they never should have done. See, here was the problem. And I said this from the beginning. I'm not, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking it. I said, the minute the Fed made the mistake of bringing interest rates to zero and and compounding it with quantitative easing, I said, the minute they did that, they already had sealed their fate. The economy and the market were doomed. No matter when they raised rates, it was going to be a disaster. And the longer they waited, the bigger the disaster. So had they raised rates a couple of years ago, it would have been a disaster just smaller than the one we're going to have now. And had they not done it, in December, had they waited another year, then it would be even worse. So to say that they worked early, that's ridiculous. What is ridiculous is that they believed that they could raise rates after having left them at zero for so long and that it wouldn't matter, that everything would be fine. right? Because, again, the narrative that everybody's been selling, you know, Ben Bernanke, he's got his book out there, you know, uh, Courage to Act, right? Uh, we saved the economy. Everything is great because of what the Fed did. And now, you know, we can raise rates and shrink our balance sheet because everything is great. It's not. It's a disaster. The economy is in much worse shape today than it was seven years ago. That's what nobody seems to understand. They still believe that the Fed cured us. Instead, their poisonous cure made us sicker than ever. That is what I wrote in Crash Proof. I wrote when I forecast that the bursting of the real estate bubble and the great recession and financial crisis i said the economy could withstand that what was going to kill it was not that disease but the fed's cure and the fed came up with exactly the cure that i was afraid they would that i warned they would and it's having the exact effect this is what's going to kill the economy now of course the fed is going to try it again i still believe that the fed is going to take interest rates to negative and they're going to launch qe4 and it's going to be bigger than QE1, 2 and 3 But it's going to be too late to stop this recession uh, from unfolding, which again will be deeper and longer lasting than the last one. But I think at this point, it's going to be a lethal dose of uh, monetary stimulus. And it's going to be lethal for the dollar. And of course, the dollar is still rising based on this idea that the Fed is going to keep on tightening. And this is causing turmoil throughout the world where people have pegs to the U.S. dollar, Or people have lots of debt denominated in U.S. dollars. The fact of the matter is the dollar is massively overvalued. We have huge trade deficits. We have huge budget deficits. The dollar should be much lower. The fact that it's not is what's screwing up everything. And the fact that everybody believes that this overvalued currency is going to keep going higher. This is what is wreaking havoc throughout the global economy. But what's amazing to me is people still don't see that all these rate hikes can't happen. Because the Fed or the US economy is the economy that is most vulnerable to higher interest rates. We are the biggest debtors. A US recovery and higher interest rates cannot coexist. People still haven't figured that out yet. So this dynamic is going to continue. You know, gold prices are rising. Gold was up another 15 bucks or so today. We closed about 1102. We were up about 22 bucks on the highs. But interestingly enough, yesterday, even though gold prices were flat, Gold stocks collapsed again to new record lows. I mean, the, the XAU yesterday was at the lowest ever in the history of the index. I think it you know maybe goes back to the 1980s. And even though gold was up big today, gold stocks were up, but they didn't even recover, I don't think, half of what they lost yesterday. So gold stocks as a, as a group are down about 10% since the Fed raised rates, even though gold is up 3 4% since the Fed raised rates because it's still denial. I mean, the only gold stocks that are going up are the ones in South Africa. They've been going up because the rand has been killed. Uh, And so that is increasing the profitability of mining for gold in South Africa. But the same story is happening in Canada or Australia, just on a smaller scale. But I think these South African stocks are ultimately going to lead the way higher for the rest of the group. But right now, there's just a big shakeout. There's probably redemptions, margin calls, hedge funds blowing up. Who knows? It's all like 2008. And remember... The dollar was strengthening all through that financial crisis until the Federal Reserve finally admitted there was a problem. And once they stimulated and launched QE1, the dollar tanked. It lost almost the entirety of its rise. The only difference is when the dollar rose in 2008, it rose from the floor. It had been falling for seven years to a record low. This time the dollar is rising, I think, as the final push of a rally that began almost four years ago and so i think when the dollar reverses this time it's going to go down for the count the only thing that the bulls seem to have left to hang their hat on or not i'm talking about stock market bulls but the economic bulls is the jobs numbers right because that's what it keeps boiling down to i keep hearing well the consumer's in great shape why why do people think the consumer's in such great shape i mean yes gas prices are going down but i mean Lots of other things are gone up. I mean, health insurance has gone up. Rents have gone up. So if you add what you pay for health insurance and what you pay for rent, I mean, you pay a lot more for those than you do for gasoline. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, gas is a little cheaper, but the cost of living is going up despite the fact that gas is cheaper. Of course, a lot of people that don't have jobs, they don't drive very much anyway, but they still pay rent. They still, you know, so these costs are, in fact, going up. So the whole myth that the consumer is in great shape, despite the fact that retail sales are collapsing and we just had the worst Christmas uh, since uh, 2008. The idea is, well, the consumer is in good shape because we have full employment. we got all these jobs. (laughs) We don't have full employment. I mean, the labor market has never been this weak. You know, I want to go back again and talk a little bit more about that non-farm payroll number we got for December. 292,000 jobs was the number that came out. And everybody was so excited about that number. Uh, let me give you a little bit more of the details of that number. First of all, only 16% of those jobs went to people who were over 24 but under 55. Right? Those are the, the main people that need jobs. Right? And only 16% are in that a group. So 84% of the jobs went to people under 24 or over 55. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that they hired a lot of people, maybe to gift rack presents. They hired a bunch of Santa Clauses for the department stores. (laughs) These were not real jobs. And in fact, the percentage of the jobs that were created in December that went to people who already had a job, at least one, they might have had two, but they already had a job, 64%, 64% of the jobs created went to people who already were employed. That is a 10 month high. The number of people who got their first job, right, who didn't have any job and got a job, whether it's a part-time job or a full-time job, they just landed a job. They were unemployed and they got a job. That was at a three-month low. And here's another fact I didn't even know about until I read this. The government counts any part-time job that you have as long as you have enough part-time jobs to equal 35 hours a week. So let's say a guy lost his job. He had, a, he had a good job. He had one job and he lost that job, right? And so now he's hobbling together a living. He's got three part-time jobs now where collectively, if you add up all the hours on those three part-time jobs, he's working 34 hours a week on all three jobs. But they're all low-paying jobs, minimum wage type jobs. So even though he's working full-time hours with those three jobs, he's making less money than he made when he had one job. Since you have three part-time jobs that equal 35 hours a week, the government counts all three of those jobs as full-time. I'm not making this up. So that means that by destroying one full-time job and causing three part-time jobs to be created to replace it, Obama can get credit for adding two full-time jobs to the economy. So the only time a part-time job counts as a part-time job is if you only have one. Or you have two, but they don't quite add up to 35 hours a week, which is absolutely ridiculous. So that is why the labor market seems so strong, because we have so many people who are forced to take second and third jobs. Now, that is not a sign of a strong economy. I mean, most people don't want two or three jobs. They want one. In fact, a lot of people don't even want one. Right. A lot of these jobs for people who are 55 and older they want to be retired. They want to be on the beach. They want to be playing golf or shuffleboard or pinochle or whatever they do or visiting their grandkids. They don't want to be working at Walmart. Why are they there? They're not glad that they're back in the labor market. It's because they have to afford the rising cost of living. So this supposed proof that the consumer's in great shape and the economy is great is a mirage. It's all a lie, And all that has to happen is the jobs numbers have to roll over. Because clearly, if we are in a recession, and it looks like we are, based on all the economic data and all the market data, then employers are going to lay people off. Because remember, all these employers were expecting this robust recovery, because that's what they've been told. That's what their economists have told them. That's what the government has told them. That's what Wall Street has told them. And of course, you know, a lot of employers, small employers, maybe they had money in the stock market. And their, their statements were going up. And so, oh, you know, we're things must be good, right? My stock portfolio is going up. Uh, everything is great. You know, Alan Greenspan. I mean, Ben Bernanke is on the cover of, of, of magazines. You know, he's our hero. And so, you know, they bought into this. And so they hired people or they hired part-time people, whatever they were doing. But now they get surprised. We're in a recession. The market's in a bear market. You know, The fact that the Fed can put so much stock in the wealth effect but not even acknowledge the reverse wealth effect? A lot of wealth, about $2 trillion has been wiped out uh, from the decline in the S&P just this year. $2 trillion up in smoke in January. That that doesn't mean anything? That doesn't doesn't do anything? Of course, especially when you have a, a recovery of the stock market, by the stock market, for the stock market. The whole recovery was built. Right. On, on on a foundation of the wealth effect from bubbles and stocks and real estate and bonds or whatever. And of course, the real estate market is rolling over. We got uh, a new home starts out today that were very disappointing. And of course, this was in the month of December and it was a very, very warm December. So you would have thought that would, there would have been even extra building uh, starts in December. People would have taken advantage of the lack of cold weather uh, in December. They didn't do that. Uh, but of course, I think the numbers are going to be much worse now. Uh, in uh, January, February, and of course, if the economy was so bad, and but JP Morgan has already got their uh, forecast for uh, fourth quarter GDP down to 0.1, 0.1. I mean, they're basically at zero, right? But if the fourth quarter of last year was so weak, before the stock market collapsed, imagine what's going to happen to the first quarter when you have to take all the weak economic data that we had at the end of last year and combine that with what's happening in the stock markets this year. And again, you know, they're still trying to blame this on oil prices, which continue to fall. Right? We're down below $28 a barrel. But oil is not causing Look, oil prices went from $150 a barrel down to $35 a barrel in 2008. It was a bigger decline than this, right? Because we started from $150, not 100 right? So that was a bigger decline. Yet nobody blamed the 2008 meltdown on the falling oil price. But that's what they're blaming this on, or they're blaming it on on China. But the problems in China have to do with the Chinese currency, or in Hong Kong, with the Hong Kong dollar, because everybody thinks they're going to have to break their peg. Why would they have to break their peg? Well, because the dollar is going to go up. Well, why should the currency of the world's biggest debtor go up? Why should the currency of a country that's back in a huge recession go up? Because people are in denial. They just think the Fed's going to keep on raising rates in a vacuum. How can they do that? especially since this is an election year. Look, do they just want to hand the White House to Donald Trump, who looks like he could very easily be the Republican nominee? But Hillary Clinton has no chance if if Janet Yellen does nothing and just allows this whole recession to unfold. Because if this is the type of recession I think it is, we will still be in this recession in November when people go to vote. And the stock market may have surrendered all of the gains from 2009. So Barack Obama's whole claim to fame is that he inherited a mess and now everything is great. And Hillary Clinton wants to wrap herself up in that, right? And, and, and say, me too, me too. See, I, I will vote for me because it's more of Obama because everything is great. And I, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I was part of that administration. Well, she doesn't have that. If we're right back in recession, if Obama's like, well, I inherited a mess and now I'm leaving an even bigger mess, He's not going to be leaving it for Hillary Clinton because it's going to be just like John McCain all over again. The Democratic nominee will have no chance of getting elected if it's a complete meltdown. And all Obama wants to do and Hillary Clinton wants to do is talk about how great things are. The only chance they have is to acknowledge the problem, but blame it on Wall Street again, blame it on lack of regulation, blame it on something going on in China. Who knows what they're going to blame it on? They're not going to accept responsibility. The Fed's not going to accept responsibility, but they're going to have to find a scapegoat because they're going to have to have a reason that's palatable to lower interest rates to negative and to launch QE4. And again, as I said before, that's not even going to be it. They're not going to stop there. They're going to do real old-fashioned priming the pump, Keynesian stimulus. Paul Krugman is going to finally approve of what we're doing because they're going to increase government spending they're going to come up with who kind you know what kind of uh, you know make work gimmicks and they're probably going to have some middle class tax cuts and it's going to be a you know a bonanza of deficit spending i think we can end up with a 2 trillion dollar uh a year budget deficit not just 1 trillion this is what's coming and the question is when how much longer can they be in denial remember you know it didn't end In 2008, you had had Jim Cramer on CNBC screaming that the Fed knows nothing. They know nothing. When are they going to come in? Well, they still know nothing. They shouldn't have come in back in 2008. They should have allowed the market to fix the problem. But why should they? Because they created the problem. The last thing they wanted it was solved because that solution would be painful And it would ultimately reveal that they were the cause. So what they did is more of the same, gave us an even bigger bubble, which they just pricked. But again, even if they didn't prick it, the air was seeping out anyway. And again, I thought they would have been smart enough to recognize this and and find an excuse not to raise rates. But I overestimated the intelligence of the Fed. Once again, uh, they believed their own press clippings. Maybe they actually thought that they had finessed this that they had actually found an exit strategy from a, from a position where there is no exit. I mean, that's why I said they were in a monetary roach motel. I meant that for a reason. I said there would be more QE than Rocky movies for a reason. You know, Ray Dahlia uh, from Bridgewater was on uh, CNBC Today too, out in Davos. You know, they're having a big economic conference there that they've never invited me to. And he's predicting now QE4. And you know he's been doing that for a little while now, but of course no one's been predicting QE4 as long as I have, because I predicted it when they launched the very first QE. I knew it was a never ending process. People are acting like, oh, well now they're gonna have to do it. It's inevitable. The minute they did QE3, QE4 was inevitable, right? And the minute they do QE4, QE5 is inevitable until the dollar crashes. And of course, once the dollar collapses, well then again, we die of the overdose. And so QE4 could be the end of it. You'll see if the dollar completely melts down, And if the government finally figures out or admits what they've done wrong and we actually take a different path. Well, if not, well, then then QE5. But now you've got more people saying it. It's not just Dahlia. There's some other people now that are talking about it, but they weren't talking about it six months ago or a year ago. They're only talking about it now because all this bad stuff has happened. Uh, And so now the Fed has to come to our rescue. Well, the only reason the bad stuff is happening is because the Fed came to our rescue, because they didn't actually rescue us. We're drowning, and they didn't really throw us a lifesaver. They threw us an anchor, and we just didn't realize what it was that we were holding in our hands. And now everybody is saying, oh, yeah, we need that anchor again. Yeah, we need it like a hole in the head. But unfortunately, that is what we're going to get. But fortunately for, you know, my investment thesis, it seems like, Everything that I've been forecasting is either already occurred or in the process of occurring. The one thing that hasn't happened is the dollar. And here's why. I mean, everybody is staring at this recession, and we're staring at a bear market, and nobody wants to admit it, right? It's like, it's like this the old fable about the emperor and his new clothes. Right? We're all looking at the emperor, and everybody sees he's naked, but nobody wants to admit it. Nobody wants to say the guy's got no clothes. We're all just looking at this guy butt naked and we're admiring his clothes. And everybody's waiting for Janet Yellen, who's, you know, the little boy. Now she's a little girl. She's got to come out and say he's naked. And until Janet Yellen admits what should be obvious, nobody is going to acknowledge it. But at some point she is going to have to. And when she does, it is a huge game changer for the dollar for the commodities markets, for gold. And then I believe my investment thesis will be vindicated because I believe my economic thesis already has. It's just a question of time before all the people who have been in denial for all these years finally admit that they were wrong. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by Legacy Media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is. Truth in Media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with TruthinMedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, TruthinMedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly videocast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust and I advised clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My Gold videocast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck, Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my Gold Videocast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.